Welcome to Next in Health podcast. I'm Jenny Colapetro, PwC's Vice Chair for Health Industries, working across pharmaceuticals, medtech, payers, and providers. And I'm Igor Belakronitsky, a principal with PwC Strategy End, where I help leading health organizations with their strategies and operating models. Earlier this year, we published our Next in Health report, where we called out affordability of healthcare as the top issue for the industry. And today we have another great report to share with you, our medical cost trends report that dives deeper into this issue of affordability and its implications for employers and consumers. And we're very excited to have the authors of the report with us, starting with Tom Bales, the leader of a health sector, and Julian Levin and Derek Skoog, who are principals in our health actuarial team. And so Tom, Derek, and Julian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So let's start at the start. And Tom, perhaps you could kick off by telling us what this medical cost trend report is, where it comes from, and what we should be expecting in terms of the medical cost trend. Absolutely. And thank you again, Jenny and Igor, for having us. So PwC's Health Research Institute started this report back in the mid-2000s, 2007 or so. And it consolidates the input of regional and national health plans on their own forecasts for their commercial and individual businesses and the medical cost trend associated with those for the upcoming year. This is the trend that their actuaries use to set rates and pricing for these segments, the employer and the individuals. Our survey together covers roughly about 100 million lives uh, in the U.S., and that's across the U.S., and that covers both national plans and regional plans. So a few important takeaways from the study, and I'll start with really what the headline is, which is that medical cost trend is back up on the rise. And this is important to recognize. When we first started this in 2007, trend was at about 12% a year, so significantly higher than inflation. From 2007 to 2017, an era when we saw the Affordable Care Act introduced, we actually saw the steady decline of trend down to almost 5% or so in 2017, which starts to get pretty close to other measures of economic inflation here in the U.S. From 2017 on, we saw it flatten for a little bit. There was an uptick early in the early days of COVID. It dropped back down. And now it's ticked back up this most current year, forecasting for 2024, to 7%, so a two-point increase there. Around that 7%, you have to also consider that there's variance. Some of the plans was actually above that, and some of it was below that. Lastly, let me just say, these interviews were completed in early 2023, and some of the support for what was around that trend are inflators and deflators. Some of my colleagues here will share, and I'll just say that at the end of it, it was a year when the inflators beat out the deflators. Thanks, Tom. Now, that's great, and it's interesting to just hear the fluctuations and where we are now relative to medical costs. Derek, could you take us a little bit deeper into the biggest part of cost, that is care delivery? What changes do you think we'll see in how care will be delivered and where and by whom and how much is that going to cost? Yep. It's a really interesting question. And I think maybe easiest to break down into sort of three parts from a cost perspective. And really the first is just the macroeconomic environment that so many parts of our economy it felt is really being felt by the hospital industry and our healthcare providers. And so their cost of doing business, their supply chain costs, their facility costs, equipment, that's all on the rise. And the reality is in healthcare, it's a little bit different than other parts of the economy. 
where it takes a little bit of time for that to materialize in higher cost to consumers, given multi-year contracts between providers and payers. And so in our surveys and interviews with behind-the-numbers participants, this was really cited continually as maybe the headline driver is really during those discussions, providers bringing the fact that the cost of doing business on their end is significantly higher than it was in the past. And then a few other points that are maybe a little bit more unique to healthcare providers and those in care delivery. One, that's just a really significant chronic workforce shortage. And that's really been true for some time, but I think the pandemic has really exacerbated that, particularly in the skilled nursing facility and home care sectors where well, we saw a significant loss in employment numbers, and we still really haven't turned a corner there. There's still a significant hole that needs to get filled. And that has far-reaching consequences. One, just fewer folks working means that they've got a little bit more labor power, tilts the cost there. But I think it also creates additional costs on the health system side, where, for example, we hear time and again, hospitals don't have skilled nursing facilities to discharge patients to. There just aren't folks who are able to man the beds in those slightly lower but still high acuity settings. And so that means longer lengths of stay in the acute inpatient hospital. And when those hospitals are paid on a case rate basis, that is a big headwind for them. And and so really uh, implications for that workforce shortage are are really significant and far-reaching within the healthcare industry. And then the third really inflationary bucket on unit costs for healthcare providers is physician consolidation. And so as we look through the industry, just for various reasons, one being just the consolidation of employment at large health systems, health system M&A activity, as well as private equity investment in the space has all led to a pretty significant amount of consolidation. And with that upward pressure on costs. And in many of these cases, it's a reaction to the points that I mentioned around just kind of broader supply chain and other costs rising and chronic workforce shortages. And they'll say, for example, that that increase on the unit cost side is just required in those negotiations to keep the lights on. And so it's a really interesting give-take dynamic every year for payers and providers. But this year and going into 2024, it's a really much tighter conversation. And then I think maybe the last point that's maybe the, the good guy, so to speak, out of the deflator, as Tom mentioned, is the site of care shift that we've seen over really just the last few years, it's been a sea change in the industry. And that's been the shift from inpatient to outpatient care, where traditionally many services, particularly surgeries, were done in an inpatient setting, thinking things like hips and knees and the like. But over the last few years, the prevalence of performing those services on an outpatient basis has just skyrocketed. You can't really understate the significance of that shift where we went from really it being uncommon to be done in an outpatient setting to being the norm and really the standard of care. And with that outpatient setting comes a much lower cost. And that's really served to dampen cost growth over the last couple of years. And so hoping that we can continue that momentum here with potentially other services and expanding that shift from inpatient to outpatient, potentially outpatient to physician office or home. And so there's a little bit of a question mark around kind of what kind of runway we've got there. But it's a really interesting dynamic to keep an eye on. Derek, thanks for breaking that down for us. And you mentioned consolidation. And so I encourage the listeners to also check out our episode on the mid-year deals update with Nick Donker. But let's stick with the costs and let's sort of finalize the picture. You talked about the care delivery costs. And then there's this whole other ecosystem with drug manufacturers, distributors, retailers, purchasers. So what should we expect on the drug cost side? 
Yep. So another really interesting area. Broadly, we think about this as one of the, the biggest inflators of cost for next year. And, and really, the, the drivers are twofold. One being the cost of existing drugs, drugs that are already in the market. Cost of those drugs is going up. Broadly, 3,000 plus drugs saw cost increases last year. And these are just year over year costs. Same drug costs a lot more year over year. So that is inflation in the most traditional sense of the word. But then there's this other bucket, which I think folks are particularly concerned with and focused on. And that's really new drugs, new therapies, for example, in particular gene therapies, where the cost of these new drugs is really significant. So some of these drugs costing up to $3 million a year, but just the average cost of a new drug is over $200,000 at this point. And so these new drugs that are coming down the pipe each year are very expensive and though have really significant clinical value in many cases, do come with a pretty hefty price tag. And so that's certainly a big area of concern from a, an overall cost and affordability perspective is how do we pay for these new, often very effective drugs that can be a game changer for particular conditions. And then maybe I throw a bit of a third sort of a wild card item in here, and that's really the GLP-1 agonist drugs and Folks really think about these as the weight loss drugs, so to speak, but these are the diabetes and obesity drugs. There's a whole lot of attention being paid to these right now. They're not brand new. Some of these have been around for a few years, but had a narrow set of cases when they were prescribed. But prescribing has really expanded as the approvals have expanded. And so these are not necessarily $100,000, $200,000 drugs for use, but they are costly drugs that are you know, in the range of $15,000 to $20,000 a year. And if you just think about the prevalence of diabetes and obesity, the uptake of these drugs at fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year can really be a significant cost driver. Of course, the hope is that by folks getting healthier, getting their weight into more manageable places or their diabetes under control, that we see lower utilization of the healthcare system and healthier folks down the line. But that's a longer term item relative to that near-term cost. And so payers are really thinking about their coverage policies and the corresponding costs of these drugs. And that's really been a, a hot topic and a key area of focus for them. So Julian, given what both Tom and Derek have laid out here around these medical costs, I imagine that many employers will rely on this report as they determine what kind of health coverage they're going to provide for their employees. Julian, what do you think are the implications of this report from an employer perspective on how they think about coverage and cost sharing? Yeah. So as you mentioned, all these inflators that Derek has been talking about are becoming a reality for employers. They're starting to get their renewals for 2024, and they're seeing the impacts of rising healthcare costs as part of their premiums. Given those many other economic factors they're facing, we're expecting employers to take a hard look at this and look for opportunities to offset that rising premium cost in other ways. You talked about shifting cost and whether that's with cost sharing or premium contributions. That is something we do expect employers to look at, though, with continued talent concerns as sort of a fight for talent amongst employers. We don't expect that's a lever many will push on. Instead, we see employers and expect them to consider narrow or high-performing networks alternative plan designs that might help to lower costs through lower cost providers rather than just purely shifting costs to their employees. As part of that, one key tool that has really been gaining momentum is the use of price transparency tools to help employees navigate that healthcare system and do a more effective job of identifying where they can receive care more efficiently. 
Another way we're expecting employers to look to offset costs increase, especially with smaller and mid-sized employers, is to consider alternative funding arrangements. So rather than sticking with a fully insured premium, looking for options like level-funded plans, group captives, or even moving fully to a self-insured basis with stop loss to kind of get a one-time offset. Then the last thing is employers continuing to consider various centers of excellence to target high-cost claimants particularly with cancer and orthopedic cases to keep those under control. Thank you, Julian. That's fantastic and very, very helpful. And maybe as we bring this to a close, I'll bring this back to Tom. And Tom, you're out there every day talking to executives and boards of leading health organizations. So as you reflect on the findings of the report, could you help us put it in a bigger context of what's happening in healthcare and where things are headed? Sure, Igor, thank you. And we're all out there. And sorry to invite others to weigh in as I close this out here a bit. First off, I think that there's a sense that we probably have not seen the final impact of inflation. So where that came through and Derek referenced the impact to the actual delivery cost of care side of the world, that's probably going to still you know, play out as we go forward here, how we see the contracts coming through, what continues to happen to wages. Secondly, the investments and the innovation that has been going on in healthcare for a while now, but I would say that there's been a significant uptick in the last half dozen years or so. Things around the push around data analytics, care management, we've seen an awful lot around the importance of primary care physicians and whether that be startups and innovation, that be larger health plans and or health systems buying these PCPs. It remains a focus and it remains a focus because of what it means around controlling and managing affordability, our own journey on value-based care. To some extent, it's interesting to follow the inflation trend that we spoke about and the progress of value-based care, which made a lot of progress during the early teens. Some would argue it flattened out here a bit, but it's again on the rise. And we expect to see more around the next versions of value-based care and how those play out and the convergence within our industry around risk. The role of PE and VC, it was hot, hot, hot. This past year was a little bit quieter. There is a sense that it's going to pick up again. And then lastly, in the last six months, artificial intelligence isn't new, but with the availability of what ChatGPT has done for an individual, whether that be an individual clinician, a physician, a member, there's a real focus on how we can bring digital and artificial intelligence not just to the consumer lens, but within the enterprise in industrial ways. The regulatory push is important not to lose sight of that. For a lot of years, regulations were about protection. What we see is that regulations today are very much about transparency. They're about interoperability, creating a seamless ecosystem with more information. I don't think that we have yet seen how that information fully plays out. And I certainly don't think that we've seen how those that are participating in healthcare today are held accountable to that information, the pricing that is released and that's made available across whether that be health systems or health plans and the, and the products. Lastly, the point that Derek made about the weight loss drugs, it's interesting. We've had a number of interviews with the press on this. They're very focused on that. Just to put some context and numbers behind it, the direct impact of being overweight and obesity in the U.S. is estimated around $150 to $200 billion of direct medical cost impact every single year. The indirect, so all of those things that come from it, so diabetes, there's even cancer, 
is estimated around $1 to $2 trillion or so. And so that long-term impact and the promise of what those drugs are is interesting, both from the utilization of the drugs themselves and then this impact in the longer term. And of course, we've still got the CMS rate pressure, the advance notice that went out. That will play out across all of U.S. healthcare and the ongoing push for alternative sites of care. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of change. All of the health systems, the health plans are working relentlessly to keep up with that change, that innovation. Tom, Julian, and Derek, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing these insights. And we encourage everyone to read the full report behind the numbers 2024. And thanks for joining us. Thank you, Igor. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Igor. Thank you, Jenny. For more on these topics and other health industry insights driven by policy, innovation, and care delivery changes, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. That way you also get access to previous episodes and be notified when the new one drops. Until next time, this has been Next in Health. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.